morning, church. It's so good to be together. I want to thank you for your generosity. Giving to Christ at Christmas is such a fun thing that we get to take part in God's growing kingdom here in our community and around the world. And I want to thank you for your partnership in that move of God's spirit uh, that we get to be a part of. Well, hey, as Christmas is quickly approaching, over the next two weeks, we want to challenge ourselves to fully fix our eyes on Jesus and his coming to dwell among us. You know, Christmas has the potential for us to experience great wonder and joy and to be a part of that joy actually going out to others as well. In fact, in the Bible, right after Jesus is born, uh, the angels show up to a group of shepherds out in the field and it freaks them out. All right, if you've read that passage, I can't imagine just sitting there, the skies being split open, a great herald of angels coming, and they say this. They say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. See, Christmas is meant to bring joy to all people and not just joy because the season's fun. I mean, we've built traditions that make Christmas fun and ought to inspire joy, but there's a potential for us to encounter deep spiritual, personal joy in this season. You know, some of us, as I talk about the joy of Christmas, I don't have to talk much because you're a Christmas fanatic, right? Who, who would self-identify as a Christmas fanatic? You know, you start talking about Christmas in June, the tree's up in September, all right? You just finished your Christmas shopping for next year because you're always thinking a year ahead, all right? You love everything about Christmas, the gatherings and everything. And and while all those things can bring us joy, there is also a tension for us as believers because sometimes we can get wrapped up in all the things and find joy there, but miss out on the most important thing of Christmas, which is deeper connection and communion with the God who did come to dwell with us growth in our faith through this season as we worship him. And so our challenge over these next two weeks is to create a rhythm of reflection, of prayer, and even space to encounter the real joy of Christmas, which is the very presence of God being with us. And I say this is a challenge because my wife and I, we were even just talking about the pace of life the distractions of everything that life brings, it takes a fight to carve out space and time to be with the Lord, to encounter his presence in everyday life. And it reminded me of that that great song, uh, Joy to the World. It says, joy to the world. I'm not going to sing it. All right. (laughs) He has come. And the challenge is let every heart prepare him room. It takes effort to prepare room in our heart and our mind to encounter the presence of God, the joy of Christmas. And so today we're going to look at just three ways we can practically experience the joy of Christmas. And to do that, we're going to look at a Christmas text that isn't from one of the gospels. In fact, the first time I came across it, I thought, well, that's kind of obscure, but man, it is so rich as we dig into it. When we talk about a rhythm of reflection and prayer, the Apostle Paul provides a great example for that to us. 
And just reading his writings, you can just see how he's always thinking about reflecting on Christ's coming, the purpose of his life, the impact of his death and his resurrection, and the hope and the joy that we can find in him alone. And in fact, in his letter to the Galatian church, he spends the first three chapters just encouraging their faith, their acceptance of the gospel of grace. And central to that gospel is God's son coming to save us. And in Galatians 4, he reflects on the events of Christmas, the purpose behind it, the wonder and the awe of it in this way. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there, find it on your phone. It'll also be up on the screen. But he says in Galatians 4, starting in verse 4, he says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons, God spent the, or sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's pray real quick. Loving God, we thank you for the truth and the power that we find in your word, Lord, that it has authority to guide and direct us in our life. And Lord, it has life, spiritual life within it. Lord, thank you that it is inspired, it is from you and your desire, even today as we look into it, is to reveal who you are to us and to transform us by the work of your spirit. We just humbly open ourselves up to that work today. We ask that you would move in and through us in Jesus' name, amen. So how can this text, these few verses from Galatians, help us to experience joy this Christmas season? What can it give us to focus on in these next couple weeks? Well, as we look at it, we're going to see that Paul draws out three things. He talks about the history of Christmas, the mystery of Christmas, and he points us to the victory that Christmas brings. And so that's what we're going to do. If you're following along, the first thing that we're going to look at is the idea of reflecting on the history of Christmas. To experience joy this season, we can reflect on the history of Christmas. The beauty of our faith is that it is real. Christ actually came. A baby was born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. And when did he come? You know, historically, as we think about the history, we have great proof that Christ's birth was right around the time of six years B.C. But Paul here draws us to something more than just a historical timeline. In fact, Paul points us to God's set time for Jesus to come. See, Chris, Christmas isn't just about our human journey, but rather Christmas is the ordained time set by the God of heaven and earth to invade our time and our space. In Galatians 4, 4, he says, but when the set time had fully come. See, as we reflect on Christmas, we realize that there is no accident to Jesus coming nor his timing. The arrival of Jesus is wrapped up in the providence of God to bring salvation to this earth. It's not a reaction to our decisions. It's not God throwing his hands up in heaven and saying, hey, Jesus, they're just not getting it. Just go down there and try to fix it. All right. It is a set time 
designed even before creation. And when that set time had fully come, then Christ comes. See, there's something about God's timing. How many of you know that God shows up in just the right time and in just the right way? Yes, the beauty of Christmas is that he's always with us. But some of you are waiting for him to show up in an even greater way. Let me tell you, he won't come early and he's never late. In his set time, he will come. In his set time, he did come. And as believers, we can trust in the biblical and the historical proof of the birth of Jesus. See, Christmas isn't just a fairy tale. It's not just a religious story. It's actual events of history proven by eyewitnesses, written down by eyewitnesses in the presence of other eyewitnesses. It's collaborated by external historical proof. Jesus came. And Luke's gospel gives us really the greatest detail of that birth narrative. I encourage you even today to look at the first couple chapters of Luke's gospel. But Luke, he sets out to write his gospel to just dig into all the events that have happened, all the eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts. And when Luke sets out to write his gospel, this is how he opens it. He says, many have drawn or have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught, the certainties reflecting on the history of Christmas. It happened. And again, Luke's gospel, it gives such vivid details of events, of conversations given by the eyewitnesses, the people who were actually a part of it. Just reading those first two chapters will fill you with joy. But how can this bring joy? How can the fact that a baby was born bring joy to our hearts? Well, Paul continues. He says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. See, this is central to our faith. Not that just God chose a human baby to be Messiah, but rather that God himself stepped out of eternity and into human history in the person of Jesus. Which begs the question, why? Like, why did it have to be this way? Why did God have to send his son? And if you follow the biblical story, you see clearly a plan of redemption for humanity from the very beginning to the end. This plan of a redemption broke into our human timeline in the time of Jesus' birth. See, humanity, we are prone to wandering, prone to depravity and decay. We are rebellious toward God, sinful in our actions towards him and others. Anybody encouraged by that this morning, <laughs> right? We know this is the case because that's our story. If we're real honest, prior to Christ, we were all doing our own things, sinful toward God, selfish and prideful toward others. Each of us, like sheep, had gone astray. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son for us, not because we earned it or deserved it, not because we were even ready to accept it, 
but because while we were still sinners, still at our worst state spiritually, God showed us the fullness of his love in sending his son. While we knew we couldn't measure up to his glory or his holiness, then God sent his son. You know, we just sang, Oh, Holy Night, one of my favorite Christmas carols. And that Christmas song just points to the fact that apart from God on our own, we are just stuck in sin and error pining. In fact, all the creation since the fall of man in the garden yearned for redemption. And the good news of Christmas is this, that when Jesus came, he appeared to show our soul its worth. This is the foundation of transforming joy that we can experience in Christmas. The reality of our depravity, but the worth of our soul in the coming of Christ. Let me ask you, have you experienced that? Have you experienced a brokenness spiritually, but then encountered the loving God who came to show you your soul's worth? Christmas as we reflect on the reality of Christ's coming, it ought to encourage our spirit. We ought to think about he came for all people, but he came for you and he came for me. And if we spend time reflecting on his coming, it ought to renew the joy of our salvation. It ought to remind us of how he came for me and for you and for your family and for our community. Yes, our whole, whole world, but it provides an opportunity for us to very personally remember when he first was revealed to us and when we came to faith in him. And likewise, just as the fullness of time had come when Jesus came, each of us who have experienced that fullness of time when we came to faith, there are people in our family, in our circles of influence, in our workplace, their time is now. God has been pursuing their heart, and he wants to use us to bring the joy of Christmas to their lives. As we continue to encourage you to minister to and encourage and invite people to Christmas, don't miss the opportunity to be a part of that. And even some today whether here in person or online, your time has come. God has been pursuing you. And even today can be the day of your salvation. If that is the case, as we go through his word, don't deny it. Don't fight it. Surrender to him. So reflecting on Christmas, it fills us with joy because it personalizes his coming to our lives. Second, maybe a second rhythm we can establish here in this Christmas season is this. It's to worship in the mystery of Christmas. Man, all these Christmas songs that we sing are so rich in the words that they share with us. But there are aspects of our faith that ought to leave us in wonder and awe of our eternal, all-powerful creator. You know, as we reflect on Christmas, there are legitimate questions we ought to ask. Like, how can God become a baby? <laughs> how can God step out of heaven into our human story and be born of a woman? There is mystery, deep mystery to Christmas. And that's what Paul continues. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. See, we know how normal 
generation, ordinary generation or reproduction occurs. It's when a man and a woman and they come. No, I won't go there today. All right. <laughs> but we know how God has designed reproduction, ordinary generation. But it wasn't that for Christ. In fact, when the angel appeared to Mary, a virgin pledged to be birthed or pledged to be married to uh, Joseph, he said it this way. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. There's a deep mystery to this incarnation. And as believers, we ought to seek to know and to understand everything possible of our faith. We ought to hold fast to the truth of God's word, the authority his word provides, but we also ought to be mature and humble enough to come across certain things that bring mystery and wonder and awe into humbly fallen worship of what God has done. To say, wow, God, how did you do that? See, there are things about the Bible I can't fathom. I can't fathom what it would have been like for God to speak the universe into existence. Can't fathom what the global flood would have looked like. Can't fathom what it means for a virgin to give birth. But what these events do is they create an invitation for us to humbly sit in that mystery. To be in awe and wonder of the God who came to be with us and yet transcends us in our knowledge and understanding in every way. But still what we know is that the virgin birth was part of the redemption planned even before the creation of the world. It's foretold through the prophet Isaiah. He wrote more than 700 years before the birth of Christ. Listen to what he said, talking about the coming Messiah. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. Even prior to that, in the first pages of scripture, we see God's plan for redemption laid out. You know, after creation, when Adam and Eve are placed in the garden and they have everything they need, abundance in every way, relationship with God, they're given one command, don't eat from that tree. What's the one thing they wanna do? eat from that tree, right? It portrays our human heart, our struggle to obey. But when they disobey and death enters the world, God shows up to confront their sin, to explain the punishment that is going to be brought upon humanity because of disobedience. And you see the moment he comes, he also clearly describes the plan for redemption to bring us back. It wasn't that they sinned and then God had to have a council meeting with Jesus and the Holy Spirit to try to figure out what to do. <laughs> Rather, the Bible shows us that even before creation, God knew what our rebellion would look like and God already had a plan for redemption. And it would involve sending a savior, even himself. Look in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. God shows up and it says, the Lord said to the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, that is the woman's child, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, the Savior that was to come had to be born from a mother, a human mother, lest the word of God would be invalid. 
but also this seed, this birth that was to be, that was to come, this baby would have to be born in a unique and very special way. If it were born ordinarily, he would inherit the sin nature that was brought on us by Adam because ordinary generation births us into the very sin nature of humanity. And that's what the biblical story traces. The plan of redemption is this struggle that each of us is born into sin because of Adam's sin. We're guilty of that. We inherit his nature. And yet God is going to send a savior who is without sin to redeem us all, to somehow take our sin upon himself. The theological term for that, for Adam's sin being attributed to all of us is called federal headship, that God placed Adam as a head, a representative for all of us, and his sin brought sin upon ourselves. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Why does that that guy's mistake get accounted to me? Well, before we play backseat driver to God's plan of eternal salvation, all right, let's consider this. God in his infinite wisdom established this headship principle that through one man, Adam, sin would enter the world and all would be guilty of sin. And God did this because it's the only way that through one man, Jesus, all sin could be accounted for. That Jesus could bear our sin, place himself as an atoning sacrifice for us and make salvation available to all of humanity. See, just as Adam is our federal head and we're guilty of sin because of him, so Jesus becomes our spiritual head. And the words of Christ of being born again are made available to us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. So that through faith in him, we can be born into life and salvation and right standing with God. But that's all to say this, that the virgin birth is central to the idea of redemption, central to the prophecy of God's chosen one. And it's not something that we can take or give as far as the Christmas story. It's an essential truth of our faith and it's hard to grasp and it's mature to acknowledge that and it's okay to worship in the mystery and the wonder of that very thing. God is capable of things beyond our knowledge, our explanation, our understanding. And this ought to inspire us to worship him for who he truly is, an eternal God who transcends us in every way. So Paul continues. He says this, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So while Jesus was born without that sin nature because of the virgin birth, he was also born under the law of God, which required obedience to God's perfect word. I can't imagine having a sinless toddler. (laughs) Can you? Like, let's just talk about mystery and wonder. But, But Jesus was that. I can't imagine having a sinless five or six-year-old when they're really struggling with who's in charge, who's making the rules. I can't imagine being a sinless teenager with all the hormones and all the energy and all the stupid decisions we make. (laughs) Teens, be encouraged, all right? God has a plan for you, and sometimes we struggle through that season, but he's got a good plan and purpose for your life. I can't imagine going through my early 20s or now in my 30s or going throughout life without mistakes and failures. But there was one who did. (laughs) There was one who is 
perfect, one who is sinless. And why? Because it had to be that way for our redemption to be purchased. That Christ had to come without the sin nature, but had to fully live out all the details of the law so that he could one day offer himself as a living sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that the punishment we deserve could be poured out upon him and we could receive his forgiveness and his righteousness in our place. See, as we reflect on his coming, and as we worship in the mystery of Christmas, we're also led beyond just the cradle. We're led to the purpose of Jesus' coming, which doesn't stop at the cradle, but extends to the cross and is fulfilled in the empty tomb. See, so the mystery of the virgin birth is really that the purpose of this child being born is that he would one day die for you and I. And yet death would not be his end. He would overcome sin and death in the grave and raise to victorious life and make that available to each and every one of us. So Christmas, it ought to bring us to worship in a deep and meaningful way, to fall on our knees in awe and wonder of God's redemptive work in our lives and around the world. And this worship, that kind of worship will bring joy to your soul. That worship will point your mind and your heart to the victory that Christ came to provide. And it will inspire you to do our third thing. The third way we can experience joy this Christmas is just to live in the victory of Christmas. To live in the victory. See, Christmas isn't just about a baby coming, but rather it's about Satan being defeated. It's about salvation being won. It's about grace and joy being extended to all people. Christmas does not just re represent an event, even though it is an event that happened, but it represents redemption for all. It's not just forgiveness, but it's adoption into God's family. It's not just a second chance, but the power and the authority through his spirit to have power over sin and death and the dominion and darkness. And this is how Paul or concludes this passage. Building on what he said, he said, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. See, the message of the gospel, the work of God is to bring us into his grace, but then also into his family. If you want to experience the joy of Christmas, live in the victory that Christ came to provide. If you've accepted his forgiveness, you've committed your life to him, you are his child. You are an heir of eternal glory. Over these next two weeks, remind yourself of who you are. His spirit is inside of you to speak truth into your life, to tell you of the worth of your soul, the precious person you are to Christ, that he is delighted in you being a part of his family. 
that he's delighted in your obedience. He's delighted in pouring out his favor and his spirit upon you so that you can be used by him to bring this joy to the world. Over these next two weeks, if you've experienced that victory, if you're living in it, live it in a deeper way. Walk with his spirit in a deeper way. Surrender yourself in a deeper way so that you might be filled over and over with the outpouring of his spirit. Live in the confidence that comes from being a child of God, filled with his spirit. And be on the lookout for those whose time has come. Those whose God's spirit is working in their heart, they're eager to receive hope and truth. They're open to the message of the gospel. God is placing them in your life to use you to speak that hope into them, to point them to his word, to invite them into worship, into his presence. As we've discussed, some of you even today, you feel that spirit tugging on your heart, whether here or online, that today is your day. Today is the set time God has for you to encounter him in a redemptive way to surrender your life, to be forgiven of your sins, to be welcomed into his family through the salvation this baby came to offer. And so as we pray today, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that, to receive that grace for yourself. And as we pray today, we're gonna also prepare communion, a great reminder of again, what Christ came for, not just a baby born in a manger, but someone set out to redeem us through the cross and through his empty tomb. With that, let's pray. And as I pray, I invite the men and women who will be serving communion this morning to come forward and prepare. Loving God, we thank you so much for just the truth of your word, the hope that it brings, the joy that it instills in our hearts. At just the right time, when the set time had fully come, you sent your son, Jesus, born of a virgin, born without sin, to fulfill the entirety of your law, to save us who are guilty of sin. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you came in just the way your word said you would. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you fulfilled the perfect law so that you could offer yourself as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And Lord, for those of us who have received that, we just pray, God, you will remind us of that sweet day of salvation when your spirit broke through our heart and mind and brought us into faith. God, that you would fill us with your spirit in increasing ways, that we would live in the victory and the joy that you provide, the purpose of being your child, the identity that instills in us. And God, I thank you that today you have brought those here to this church or those watching online, and their time has come. You've been working on their heart and their mind. They've been seeking out what is true. And today is the day of their surrender, their salvation. If you're in that place, if that's you today, just encourage you just to tell him, tell the Lord that you believe in him. You believe he came on Christmas morning. You believe he lived a perfect life. You believe he became a sacrifice to take your sin and your punishment on himself. You believe he rose from the grave and is alive now. And you've received the forgiveness and the grace that that offers. Tell him that you want to be a part of his family filled by his spirit. You want to live a life of obedience, of purpose. You want to be reminded of who he's created you to be, his 
precious child created to do good works that he prepared in advance for you. God, I thank you that your invitation, your grace, the gospel message is meant for all people, joy to all people. May we walk with our eyes open where you're at work and may we join in that work. Let us live boldly by faith, share our life with others in every opportunity we have to speak of you and the hope we have in you. May we do it courageously. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's just celebrate those who are making decisions to follow. God, I just encourage you, if uh, you've said yes to God today, uh, Jim and Tammy are at the yes table. They love to just pray with you, encourage you, give you some resources to grow in your faith. Uh, for all of us, so even as we take communion this morning, you know, this is a great reminder of that purpose of Christ, that he came to offer his body, the bread, as a living sacrifice. He came to shed his blood to offer forgiveness for our sins and for all people. And so today as you come, if you're a follower of Christ, you're welcome to come, receive the elements. You can spend time with the Lord here at the altar or return to your seat. But at this time, you're welcome to come.